When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on, you guys? For this episode of the Rockney Cast, we're going to cover Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. I'm going to share with you how I came across this book, introduce you to the man, Victor Frankl, and I'm going to give you the two key takeaways from this book, as well as have a short digression to two areas that I think you'll find helpful in your life. And I think this is going to be a really good episode for you. So first off, how did I come across this book, Man's Search for Meaning? Well, of course, this is one of the great books of the 20th century. If you do a top 10 list of books in nonfiction, this book is going to make nearly every list. Any self-help genre, best books of the 20th century, this is going to be on the list. This is one book that you, you just got to read and you got to understand it and you got to get through it. And while I will share with you the key findings of this book, it's definitely going to be worth it for you to go through it and read it and absorb it. And once you do, to be able to share it. So first off, how did I come across this book? So I was like randomly watching Tony Robbins. I'm not a big Tony Robbins guy. But Tony Robbins, you know, Tony Robbins is kind of the original self-help guru of the 80s. And he was being interviewed. Somehow I came across one of his interviews on YouTube. And he was asked, what was your most favorite book? And without skipping a beat, he said, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, just off the top of his head. And, and then he got into a little bit of a why, but he's like, you know, you just really need to read the book to get into it. And so... After I heard Tony Robbins talking about, well, you know, who the hell cares? But it kept on popping up. People would keep quoting this book. And I wasn't really sure whether it was people just kind of saying, you know, everyone's kind of quoting the same book and whether anyone's actually read it. Um, but just kept on popping up. And so then I read Tim Ferriss's Four-Hour Workweek, and he brought up this book, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And it just kept on popping up and popping up. And so I'm like, okay, I cry uncle. I got to actually read this book. It's kind of a bucket list book. It's a book that everyone should read. And so I did. And one short digression. First off, I love Tony Robbins. In one of my podcasts, I, I kind of made fun of Tony Robbins. And one of my listeners like, hey, who are you making fun of Tony Robbins? Tony Robbins is great. I'm, you know. I still think he's a little infomercial guy, but he's legit. I mean, a lot of people like him so much so that people even get defensive about it. You kind of give him a hard time. So I'm not making fun of Tony Robbins to that person if you're listening. So who is uh, who is Victor Frankl? Victor Frankl was a Viennese psychiatrist um, who was born in 1905, and he only died in 1997. So... He lived during my lifetime, and I was like in my late 20s when he died. Um, he lived a 
I think, a fairly conventional life up until World War II. And of course, there's one distinguishing feature of Viktor Frankl. It was that he was Jewish. And so to give you a little glimpse of the type of character he is, uh, just before the Nazis really started ramping up their um, extermination program of the Jews, uh, Viktor Frankl did have an opportunity to get a visa out uh, of Austria, and he chose not to. He could have gone to the United States to study. He could have avoided it. He knew what his fate ultimately was going to be, but he just could not leave his, his wife, his children, his mom and dad. Um, he knew that whatever befall him or befell him, he would do it with his family. So he stayed in Vienna and he had been a practicing psychiatrist um, in Vienna in the country of Austria, uh, doing pretty well prior to the time of World War II. Um, but he found himself in a concentration camp. And I won't list all of them, but throughout the course of his time in the concentration camp, and it's based, I think, 43, 44, 45 is the rough time period that he was um, in those camps. He did go to the Auschwitz concentration camp, so the worst of worst concentration camps. And so the book was written, Man's Search for Meaning, in 1946. He wrote it in nine days, and essentially is, I don't know why he wrote it, I think it was sort of a cathartic experience for him just to say, like, what, what the hell just happened to me? I literally went through the most evil thing imaginable and through and experienced the suffering almost more than almost any of us can possibly imagine. And he produced the sheer book of beauty in nine days and did produce, having read the book, he did produce some absolute kernels that if you don't have the time, to, I'm going to identify two of them that I think are the key two takeaways. Two minor detours, but we're really going to focus on these two kernels that do emerge from the book. And it really is one of the best books of the 20th century. It really did live up to its billing. You know, in one of my early... Rockney Cass, I was going to read Moby Dick, and I'm like, hey, I had not read that book, and it was one of the top novels of the ninth, in the 19th century, and it really was that good. And this book did live up, live up to its, its, its billing as one of the top books of the 20th century in the last 100 years, and um, so I read it. So in terms of the key findings uh, of the book, and I think some of the key points, the first thing that he really gets into is this concept of inner spiritual freedom. And here I think, what does that mean? Um, this basically means the individual choice that we all have within us as to our life's destiny. And I never heard Tony Robbins really elaborate in great detail about that. But I think that that's kind of what drew him to the book. I think it's why he brings it up in the concept of self-help. Because what gives this book such power is that Viktor Frankl, you know, I think all of us, you know, are living this great game of life and we're dealt certain good cards and we're dealt certain extremely shitty cards. And... The question is, is how are we going to respond to that? 
because I think one of the great tragedies of the 20th century, and here I will do a little bit of my digression into modern liberalism, and I won't I won't get too turned into this because I don't want you to get too sidetracked on this, but this question of our life station. You know, when I was in junior high, I came across this book called Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. And it really was incredible. And the whole point of the book, there was all these great chapter titles in it. But it was basically that through the expression of positivity, you can will yourself into a different domain, spiritually, financially, physically. It is the prerequisite. It does not guarantee that you will achieve your life's purpose, but it, it is the foundation. And I don't think you can succeed without that. There are certain people that are kind of grumps and, and just constantly in agony. And I think they do that in spite of their um, their negativity. They're, they're gifted with enormous talent. But for the most part, you have to believe. You have to find meaning. And here's where the book finds its first great truth. And that is the choice. And I think after he survived, I think Viktor Frankl looks at, how the hell did I survive this? Okay. And he's very attuned to the randomness of life, certainly. And he does, to, to some degree, is life a big roulette wheel? Yeah, and I think he gets into that. There's a certain amount of luck that that is there and that is part of that. And you, know, you get hit by a truck tomorrow, and it's random. But he also identifies something very powerful that is within our control. And he gets into, well, what, are, what was the difference between some of the um, concentration camp survivors who survived and some of the ones that did not survive? What reflection did it have on their attitude? And I think really what this 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 what made this so powerful is is that in terms of concentration camp you cannot think of a worse set of cards to be dealt i mean this is the worst of worst scenario and and here i'll quote in detail from the actual book but he's but he's basically saying what are the psychological presentation and a psychopathological explanation of the characteristics of a typical camp inmate. That is, he, he's trying to give an impression of the human being that is completely and unavoidably influenced by his surroundings. What are the factors that play into who survives and who doesn't? And he raises a number of questions, but then he's very clear here, and this is basically the book. He said, we can answer these questions from experience as well as on principle. The experience of camp life show that man does have a choice of action. There were enough examples of a heroic nature which proved that apathy could be overcome, irritability could be suppressed. Man can preserve a spiritual freedom and independence of mind even in such terrible conditions of psychic and physical stress. And what we're saying is, is that the Nazis could take away everything from everyone. 
including the last piece of bread. But he said that they may have been few in number, but they, they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given circumstances, to choose one's own way. And he says there's always a way to make a choice. Every day, every hour, offered the opportunity to make a decision. A decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threaten to rob you of your very self. Your inner freedom, which determined whether or not you would become the plaything of circumstances, renouncing freedom, freedom and dignity to become molded into the form of a typical inmate. This is the book. This is the book. And I think this is what politicians argue about this is the choice that you have to make every single day this is a choice that i have to remind myself every single day and i think it's really one of the tragedies of uh, i think and here i'll do my little detour i don't like to get too political but i do think it's one of the great tragedies of modern liberalism is that it's all about you not having any choice that if you arrived where you are, you had nothing to do with where you arrived. And instead, regardless of wherever you are, it's someone else's fault. It's the government, it's your teacher, it's your boss, it's your family, it's someone else. And of course, you know, Frankel's not dumb. I mean, one of the things is he had an opportunity to live out way past the time the book became famous. So, of course, he can actually define what he meant by this. And my guess is he probably says, oh, well, you got it all wrong. That's not what I meant. Whatever. There's a time where the book takes on a life of its own and it kind of just enters the spiritual realm. But really what he says is, is that in the final analysis, it becomes clear that the sort of person the prisoner became was the result of an inner decision and not the result of camp fluences alone. Fundament fundamentally, therefore, any man can, even under such circumstances, decide what shall become of him mentally and spiritually. And that is, that is this book. And I think so often in terms of this great debate that we're having in this country, if you are starting from, and here what he's saying is, is that of course there's influences. I mean, you know, if you are raised with a silver spoon in your mouth, mouth and given every opportunity that you can possibly imagine, of course there's advantages. And of course that influences who you are to become. He's not saying it's irrelevant. But what he's saying is, is that the core is an inner choice a choice over which you have control. And a lot of times, I think so many liberals of today, it's an ideology of excuse. It's someone else's fault. It's never the result of my own choice. And this is one of the things I've tried to talk about throughout the Rockne cast in terms of my love of stoicism, because 
when you start thinking about all the things that you can control and the thing, you know, in terms of being able to save money, in terms of not being able to spend, in terms of the time that you go to bed, in terms of the amount of sleep that you get, what you put in your mouth, whether you decide to drink or not, whether you, you can write down physical gratitude, you have an enormous amount that is within your control that maybe not solve every problem in your life, but it can get you a long way. And so much of modern liberalism is about excuse and blame. And I'm here to tell you, if you are blaming your parents, your siblings, your cousins, the government, someone else for the things over which you have control over, you will never, ever advance in the way that you should. And that really gets into the second key finding of the book. And so that is my little detour into liberalism. But I think that that is one of the key problems and why I no longer subscribe to that ideology. And, and the ones that do usually are insulated from the choices that they have to make because they have cushy jobs where they don't have to produce. They don't have to pay a paycheck. Instead, they blame other people. And those are the types of people that you do not want if you are in a situation where you need to, to improve yourself, improve your family, improve your community. It depends upon you. And of course, this is in even in a concentration camp. So, you know, the other thing, too, that I think is a lot of times critique of positive thinking and Tony Robbins people is they're, you know, they're basically like, hey, you know, sure, this may be somewhat helpful, but you're oversimplifying things. Life is really com com uh, complicated. You know, the social worker that doesn't really demand action on the part of their client. And so they talk about, oh, it's all lack of resources. We have no control over anything. And everything is structural problems rather than the choice that you make. And here, of course, Viktor Frankl, you know, he could tell people, go fuck yourself. I went through the fucking, excuse my language here, but I went through a concentration camp. I was tattooed numbers on my arms. And I was saying, even under those circumstances, the choice to have a positive attitude and to endure and to choose how you were going to respond was the essence of what makes us human. And that after the war, they did studies on the, on the prisoners that survived and the ones that didn't in terms of physiological, um, you know, the ones that gave into the conditions. I mean, obviously there was millions of people that were murdered in the concentration camp, but it gets into who survived and who didn't. And they looked at their attitude and that actually had an impact on who survived and who didn't, who overcame and who didn't who gave up and who kept going. And that gets into the second key finding of the book. It gets into the question of the how. And I think this is absolutely, just absolute genius. And here he quotes Frederick Nitschke. Nitschke, I don't know how you pronounce his name. My German friends, please help me pronounce it. I say it's Nitschke or Nish, whatever. Um, Friedrich Nietzsche says, he who has a why 
to live for can bear almost any how. You have to answer the why question. What are you put on this earth to do? And that is really issue. And, and here he doesn't give you a, a, a clear playbook as far as this goes, because the question is, is what gets you up in the day to get motivated, to find your purpose? And he, he says that this can manifest itself in any way and a lot of different ways. There are some people that the why of their life is to create and to produce. And the others is just to reserve. But here what he talks about is, is that what is the best way that you can realize your assets, the assets that you have have given, given, are you utilizing them? And one of the things that he would do when he was in the concentration camp, he was saying, well, why am I here? What is my life's purpose? And he would imagine himself teaching a group of students and being able to share the wisdom and the kernels and the, and what he experienced and hopefully find meaning in the suffering and to share it with someone else and the students so that they could live as if they're the first day after Jimmy Stewart realizes and it's a wonderful life that he is going to survive. What are you going to do with the time that you have on this earth? And here he just has these, um, just moments of pure beauty in the book. He said, you know, there were a lot of inmates that gave up and said, I don't have a reason to live. And he said, what, here and I quote, what was really needed was a fundamental change in our attitude towards life. We had to learn ourselves. And furthermore, we had to teach these despairing men that it did not really matter what we expected from life, but rather what life expected from us. We needed to stop asking about the meaning of life and instead to think of ourselves as who we were being questioned by life daily and hour. Our answer must consist not in talk and meditation, but in action and in conduct. And here's probably the best sentence of the book. Life ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answer to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for the individual. And he says that that, you know, it's to find your destiny. What were you put on this earth to do? And he says, of course, that differs from person to person. He does, does not mean something vague, according to him, but it's something real and concrete, just as life's tasks are also very real and concrete. They form man's destiny, which is different and unique for individ each individual. No man and no destiny can be compared with any other man or any other destiny. No situation repeats itself and each situation calls for a different response. Sometimes the situation which a man finds himself may require him to shape his own fate by action. At other times, it's an advantage for him to just make use of an opportunity to, comp to contemplate and to realize assets in this way. Sometimes man may be required simply to accept fate, to bear his cross. Every situation is distinguished by its uniqueness, and there is always only one right answer to the problem at hand. And here, of course, I agree with him. But I think here's kind of my gloss on this, is that, yeah, of course, that's true. Maybe where I disagree with him a little bit. Of course, there are certain situations where you're in the concentration camp. All you can really do is just do the best you can to avoid, you know, standing out. 
to be kind, to focus on the things you control, which was extremely limited, and just kind of hold out. But of course, here's what makes this so powerful is that most of us are not in this difficult a situation. And that if we're going to change our life's course, we have to take action with the things that we can control through our life's purpose. You know, one of the very first books that I read um, when I arrived up here in Northeast Iowa um, was called Jay Shetty's Think Like a Monk. And he talked about finding a dharma, a purpose, a reason for being. And that is absolutely key. You know, there's a book called Good to, Good to Great. And it's a management book, which a lot of times is very boring. But really what it gets into is finding what you're naturally good at. What are you really good at? I have a friend who's really good at philosophy, loves talking about it, loves it, absorbing it. And I want him to find that purpose in philosophy. I have another one who is a good writer and reader and loves books and has a dry sense of humor for him to think about what is his purpose? What is he really good at? For me, you know, I think what I'm good at, I think I'm good at a sense of wonder and sharing it with the world. And that's what I want to do. And that was really the genesis of this podcast, which, which is to... When I find these kernels of insight what in mind, body, and spirit to share them with you to hopefully illuminate your life in a way in which your life actually improves and you go on your own path towards meaning. Now, sometimes a critique of self-help is that it gets kind of solipsistic where it's only the inner self, that you're only focused on yourself. To me, if you're not engaged in this journey it's to better someone else, then it's not the right journey. But here I think is absolute key. In order to serve, in order to improve the well-being of your community and everyone around you, you have to do what you are good at or your well will run dry. So that is what I, I think I'm good at this. If you're still here this long, you're liking what I'm listening to or what you're listening to. And it is not selfish of me to share this with you because I'm hoping, you know, you can join this. You may say, oh, everyone knows about Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl. Well, I didn't know about it. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I didn't know about that until three or four years ago um, when I just watched it randomly on YouTube through Tony Robbins. Yet it just keeps on coming on my radar screen. And my goal is that you can read this book. And I hope if you do, you can push back on the parts that you liked, parts that you didn't. You know, I do have some international listeners here, so reach out to me, rockneycast at gmail.com. I am on Instagram, so feel free to reach out to me there. Um, you can reach out to me at rockneycole at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your comments to this particular episode, especially if you take the time to read the book. One of the nice things about Man's Search for Meaning is that the whole book is only about 165 pages, and that includes the introduction and the postscript. The second part of the book, he gets into logotherapy, which is kind of his sort of pet theory that he developed throughout the course of his career. I could have probably done out with part two. It's not quite so good. Um, 
one little detour that I, you know, so it doesn't, it's not going to take long to read. It's not like going through Moby Dick. You, you can get it literally done in a day or two if you have a, if it's a rainy weekend. So it might be a good rainy weekend book. But do right now, man, what you think your life's purpose is. One quick detour that I think was kind of an early harbinger of mindfulness, which of course um, relies upon Buddhism. Um, he quotes a good, I don't know if you, you know, I think all of us experience stress, anxiety at some point. Um, I've been blessed to not really experience too much depression, but from time to time, you can have a little bit of downtimes. He has a really good quote from um, Spinoza, the great philosopher on ethics. He says, emotion, which is suffering, ceases to be suffering as soon as we form a clear and precise picture of it. And this is kind of a detour, but this is a little bit of sort of Judson Brewer, John Kabat-Zinn mindfulness. So if you're experiencing stress, anxiety, depression, that is really helpful to think about is not that you are the emotion, you, you are experiencing it, you're feeling it, it's something else. And think about it, if you can, if you can remove that, you have a lot of control over that, you can substantially improve your life as well. So a um, little bit of a detour there. At some point, we'll do some work on Judson Brewer, John Kabat-Zinn. Um, I hope you found this particular episode as meaningful as I did to put it on. You know, in sort of picking topics for the Rackney cast, I have to find something that's very interesting that really kind of, you know, lights me up emotionally, spiritually, physically, and I want to share it with you. So far, the thing that has resonated most with you are my episodes on testosterone. Well, sorry, I'm not going to only do the testosterone uh, podcast. Even if that means more listeners, I got I to gotta stick to what I love doing, which is ideas. And so that's what I'm going to continue to do. But if you have other topics or books, reach out and share them with me so that this can be a conversation. You know, that Elvis song, a little less conversation, a little more action, please. Well, actually, I want a little more conversation, a little less action, right? So reach out to me and share some books that you're reading. And if there's other people that you should talk about, or if you think I should talk about and, and have a conversation on, I would love to hear it from you. So uh, we're continuing to put on this uh, high-quality episodes of the Rocking Cast. This audience is growing, and I'm really pleased with that. Um, little by little, we're growing this tiny but mighty little tribe of, of listeners. Um, on the horizon, I'm going to be giving you some current thinkers that I think are really good. People like Andrew Huberman, um, Mark Hyman. You know, influencers and social media that actually know what the hell they're talking about. So I'm going to do some sort of man crush uh, podcasts. I'm not going to feature too many women just because so far um, that has been kind of dudes. I, you know, um, you know, I, those have been the ones I've been interested in. And I think my, my audience is mostly men. So women, I'm sorry about that. If there's some other, you know, I'm just not into Brene Brown. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I just, I don't know, I, I tend to like um, things that kind of interest dudes. Maybe this is kind of like an art of manliness type podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in. I know you've got a lot of um, pressing time needs. And I appreciate that you took the time to spend with me um, to listen to this podcast, especially if you hear this far. So thank you so much. We're going to continue. Please give me positive reviews on Apple, Spotify, all places where podcasts are heard. Listen mostly on Spotify because now I got selected to get ad revenue on Spotify. So the more you listen on Spotify, the more pennies that I can make and give me and share this hopefully with other people. But I think this is an actionable book. 
that you can give to a student. And, you know, one of the things I always kind of wonder is, um, do you have to just kind of go through life to a, what if I understood this when I was 18? I don't know. But what's the purpose of books? Is to accelerate the time at which you acquire wisdom, right? And that's what education is for. So even if a student necessarily doesn't fully grasp it, you know, hopefully they can absorb it, read it. And at some point in later life, they will do it. But this really is a book for all ages. If you have a grandpa, it's, my parents are in their 80s. Um, if you're 18, if you're in junior high, if you're in college, if you're 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, this is a book for all generations and all ages. You will love Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Me. It was a fabulous book. And so I'm very glad that Tony Robbins rec recommended it. There's a reason why Tony Robbins is Tony Robbins. So that's it for the Rocky cast. I got to get back to work. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on the Rocky cast.